You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Gearsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza. It's Monday morning time for the weekly Q&A. Joining me, as always, Chris Anderson. Chris Morgantown, West Virginia, home of the Shriners Children's Charleston Classic third place team, the West Virginia Mountaineers. They go two and one instead of one and two. While it looked like they might win this thing, it also looked like they might go one and two. A team that gives away a 12 point deficit on Friday night erases a 10 point deficit in the second half Sunday and wins. Probably comfortably is not the right word, but there is a margin there that makes you forget this was a double-digit lead within that second half. Point made by Bob Huggins or problems briefly obscured by his roster? Mm. It depends on just what the sacrifice of that one clipboard means for the team, for the, yeah. for the basketball gods, because uh, apparently that's all it took. I mean, it was that w- at that point it was a 10 point lead or a 9 point lead for Clemson i think they got one more free throw after that to get to 10 and then it was it was all west virginia from there and you just could tell uh defensively it was drastically different uh they were pestering the ball they were double teaming the i mean i think it was only a few minutes into the game and i said oh boy we're going to hear about eight comments about straight line drive getting line drive straight line drives uh, from bob huggins in the post game because they were, I mean, they were getting, I mean, it was all layups. I think it was, was it 11 of the 23 shots in the first half were layups? Like, mm-hmm. that's inexcusable. And after that that kind of freak out from Bob Huggins there with 15, 16 minutes left in the game, that, that was it. I mean, it was, I don't know how sustainable that is long term, because that was a lot of energy. That was great defense. Um, every single possession I think Clemson finally got settled down with about eight seconds left in the play clock and the shot clock. So uh, it was it's it's obvious why it was so disrupted. And I, but I just don't know if that's I think that's peak West Virginia right now. But I don't know if that's something you can consistently do just because of the energy needed to get there. I was uh, pretty proud of myself for a second here because I went back and I, I watched the Friday and Saturday games before last night's games. I blew through them quickly. And I, I wrote my three things, I think, three things I know. And I wrote that, like, I was very surprised that they, not that they pressed Elon, but they really had to press Elon. They were getting beat in half court because WVU's probably best defense or most intimidating or most impressive defense so far has been at and around the rim. Blocking shots, making things difficult from a foot or two away. If you try to drive in there, it's going to be difficult because at the very least, they're going to have, like, four to six arms windmilling around there. And... Two of those are probably belonging to a shot blocker. It could be Kerrigan, could be Polycap. If not, Osa Boyne's down there. So charges, block shots, just mucking it up with elbows and shoulders and, and fingers and, like I said, flailing arms right around the rim. Elon wasn't going to do that. They weren't going to post play. They weren't going to try to beat you off the dribble. But they ran good sets. They got open shots. And you're realizing, man, half court, not going to work. But I was really concerned about having to press for a while in the first game of a three-game tournament. And I was thinking, boy, that maybe that explains a little bit about what happened in the second half Friday night. And then I found out that Huggins said pretty much the same thing after the game on Friday, that he was ticked off. He had to press. 
no reason not to press on Sunday. You got a day off Saturday, and there's no game for a couple more days here. They don't play until Friday, but that press is certainly something that gets them going. And I feel like Huggins is torn in between two identities here. I don't think he wants to be full-blown press Virginia again. I don't think he believes he has the personnel to do that. I think he'd much rather guard you know, 47, maybe 55 feet, something like that. Extend half-court, but definitely play that half-court defense. But their offense is just much better. I mean, much better when they're pressing. And they're not only getting live ball turnovers, but they're they're getting – I don't know, even shot clock violations or one and outs. And all of a sudden that defense gives kind of a lagging offense, a little bit of juice and they play a little bit better on offense and they run around and trouble is it's kind of fleeting because they can't keep those five guys on the floor forever. And they kind of fall into lulls. But I ask you this, Chris, how, what is the mix? Is it a mix? And then does this team lean more into press or are the limitations what they were? And they're going to have to figure out a way to maximize the stretches when they're not in the press. I don't think they can go full court press. I agree with you fully that it seems this defense creates offense, but somehow it doesn't. And one stat, let me, let me ask you this. How many fast break points do you think West Virginia had against Clemson? And, and remember West Virginia forced 20 turnovers. How many fast break points do you think they had? Fewer than 10. Correct. Four. Okay. <laughs> they scored two buckets on fast breaks. I mean, they ended up with 16 points off turnovers, and it was way worse than that in the first half. I think they had, like, it was like eight or 10 uh, turnovers or something like that, and only like a couple points. I, I, I remember um, commenting on that at halftime. So it got a little better, but still 16 points off of 20 turnovers. That's 20 extra possessions. You're only scoring eight buckets. That's not great. Um, but four fast break points, <clears throat> this isn't a situation where they're getting a lot of live ball turnovers, getting down, getting two on ones, three on twos and, and getting easy buckets. It's just a matter of, I think one, it brings some energy to, I think it's just giving them more opportunities. Cause again, what, how many more times did they shoot? Than Clemson, they shot 21 more field goal attempts. Yep, 21 more field goal attempts than Clemson. Um, you're just getting more possessions, and it kind of goes back. It's it's similar to the old Press Virginia, where I think people when they thought of Press Virginia, they thought, "Oh, this is the best defense ever," and it was really a great defense. But I believe if you go back and look, there were a lot of games where opposing opposing teams were shooting 50 percent from the floor. Problem was for the other team, they were shooting 50%, but they were shooting 20 less times every game. So it didn't matter. And I think this is similar in that regard that opposing teams are going to shoot. Okay. Um, I mean, Clemson shot. Yeah. Clemson shot 55%. West Virginia shot 42, but West Virginia got 21 more shots. So it's all, it, it's a, it's a numbers game and West Virginia is winning that number side. But it, again, I think it's more that this is a half court defense than a full court defense. Oh, so half-court press, Virginia. Yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? We'll find it. We'll, we'll workshop it. I think you're onto something there, too, because they, they really can guard. Like when, when they're plugged in, they can do it. Just sometimes it takes a jolt from the bench or the scoreboard to get them into that mode. But I'm looking here. They're going to have, on non-turnover possessions, Clemson had scores on 28 of 41 possessions. And went 0 for 1 on the 1 of 1 three times. So had chances to go for scores on 31 of 41 possessions. Um, 
but the turnovers caused damage. And then you could tell it, you could tell it took a toll. Like their shooters didn't have it in the second half. They didn't want to shoot threes. They only shot seven, uh, but they were two for seven free throw line. They didn't look good. They were, they were tired. They didn't play a lot of people for a lot of minutes. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players. Two of them combined for seven minutes. West Virginia played 10. Um, and again, Pollock played seven, Kerrigan played 10. So really pretty short benches for both teams there too. But impressively to me, when you think about turnovers against the press, you're thinking steals, tips, wild passes out of bounds, discouraging passes in the traffic. How many shot clock violations? Three? Just in the time they were making up the deficit? Yeah, it felt like, I mean, there were definitely two in about four possessions. So uh, three sounds at minimum. That's that's guys who don't want to shoot and don't want to cut and don't want to run through the, the 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 saw blades right there when West Virginia's playing like that. And then that's that's a good sign, too. They're not going to press 94 feet. I just don't think they can do it. Um, but they're going to get some competition that's good soon, but they're also going to get some competition that'll let them sharpen their skills. And we'll see what what went on in that huddle or what went on when they realized that once again, their likely Hall of Fame coach with 905 wins was right. 905 or 904? 904. All right, 904. My apologies to the team they play Friday. Um, <laughs> but that is like, hey, maybe we should do what he says, and it kind of worked, and it really helps McNeil play as well because you and I, well, I was texting you saying, what happened to McNeil? Oh, <laughs> it was bad. Just looked discouraged, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know that he, Bridges, and Sherman have figured this thing out yet. That's three guys who, I mean, they almost feel like they got to have the green light. They don't rebound it well enough where if they're missing as a team that it doesn't work. But, like, the chances of all three of those guys missing aren't good. But they're not going to score if they don't shoot. Bridges, I think they'd like to get him level. But I don't think they're worried about McNeil and Sherman taking shots and missing because those guys are wired between the ears that if they're not on, they'll get on. They believe they're going to do it. Bridges will see. He's just younger, and he hasn't pulled himself out of the ditch like those guys have before. But, man, when McNeil's out there and isn't moving on offense and is just kind of going through the motions to get away from the defense and the attention they're giving him, if he can't get his shot going to the right, he's he's pretty, I don't want to say limited, but, like, he's just not helping you out there because he's not doing what he can do. Not a great defender when he's, when he's carrying suitcases from one side to the other. And then flip a switch and he gets you all of his points in that final stretch and finishes, I think, with 15. Yeah, 15 in the yeah. final 14 minutes. Are you kidding me? Pretty good finish. He went 0 for 4 with one assist, one rebound, and one foul in the first half. That's that's inexcusable. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect that from, you know, a, a bench player. Like that kind of just non... Because it, it, it wasn't even a fact of, oh, he's just missing shots. It just seemed like he was not involved at all. Um, in the second half, he really turned things on, as you noted. All, all 15 of those points... A bunch of them during that stretch after um, the sacrifice of the clipboard, and and really helped close things out with some big free throws down the stretch too. So he's capable of it. And one thing I noted in my three immediate thoughts at the end of the game was it he he was going toward in the second half he was going towards the rim. Now he's not getting actually to the rim for a layup, but his body was going vertical and forward on all of his shots. Instead of the these strange, like I don't want to say it's lazy, but it just seemed like it just didn't have the the pop and the lift on some of his shots early in the game and some of his cuts, and that really changed in the second half, and the results changed in the second half, and that's that's how it works. So uh, we've seen him get hot like that. We've seen him be aggressive, and I think you know Bob Huggins wants more of that from him. 
15 points, 5 of 7 from the floor, 4 of 4 at the foul line, 2 assists in the final 10 minutes and 12 seconds. That'll get it done. Uh, the good Sean McDill. It's there, but I think he's got to – he needs to wake himself up because he's a good player, and when he's surging, he's he's tough. Something else, too, when Sean McNeil drives at the rim, he does not scare the other team. I don't mean that as an insult, but, man, does he attract attention. And I think it's because – some number of guys wearing orange, like, I'm going to block that shot. There's no way McNeil's going to lay over me. He sure isn't Duncan. And then he drops it off to Cottrell or Osaboyan. And if he's if guys are going to run out on him kind of sloppy and he can dribble inside, that's a guy who can get you two or three assists just by driving and people saying, I'm going to swallow that shot whole. Well, guess what? You left a 6'10", 6'8 guy on the block for an easy layup or dunk. WBS to make the shot. That didn't happen every time. That doesn't happen every time. But there's something about him driving that was kind of interesting, and he could do that too. And and when the point guard play isn't very good, and it, it wasn't very good in that tournament, we saw Sherman play a lot of point guard, especially when they got down 14, uh, or excuse me, 10 with about 14 left. Um, I, I wonder how much we're looking at looking at non-traditional lineups and that point guardless lineup where you have like McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, Cottrell, Osaboyan. We saw some of that in small stretches, and it, it wasn't bad. They got back in the game and won. Um, I don't know, it makes things interesting because one loss is much better than two right now. And again, a lot of time in between games. Huggins does not believe in the you got to lose to get better. Why can't you win and get better? I think the mood around the Coliseum will be nicer and people will be uh, probably in a better state of mind going into that game on Friday. Similar story for football. We've already covered that. Beat Texas. Kansas loses. West Virginia just simply has to do what it's done every time but one, beat Kansas in football, bowl eligible. We reasoned right about, what, 13, 15 points for the point spread. At 17 is a line. West Virginia expected to have it easy. Will it be that easy? Uh, not with the way Kansas is playing the last couple of weeks. Oh, I mean, they, they were um, obviously beat Texas. They were tied with TCU until TCU uh, kicked a game-winning field goal with just seconds left on the clock. So mm -hmm. certainly not one that you want to, you know, kind of be overconfident about uh, going to Lawrence for a night game. I mean, I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like in Kansas, even if it is a night game, but still um, just not – certainly not a gimme. I'm surprised it was as high as it ended up being, the, the point spread. I don't think this is going to be close on Saturday. You don't? No. I think Kansas had their bowl game, couldn't follow it up, um, and had a chance to win it. We'll see. But, like, I got to look more at it. But I keep coming back to just key stats, and I, I can see that getting away from Kansas and West Virginia playing well. They have to travel. They got to play well. I get that. We'll see what type of personnel they have. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if WVU has its way on this one. Are you calling your shot? Is that what this is? Let me uh, – my, my charity vets are – hot so let me let me go to the lab that i make the charity bets in and figure this out but the more i look at the matchups and the numbers there's it, it's not very complicated with west virginia if you can't stop the run you can't pressure the passer you're gonna have a hard time because that's the one thing that wvu can uh facilitate with its offense is running the ball and then passing comfortably and kansas is a terrible terrible run defense um gave up north of 300 yards saturday and just doesn't rush the passer and I wonder how they're going to get stops against West Virginia, provided West Virginia doesn't have penalties and turnovers, which if a team isn't pressuring them into them, they're prone to avoid those too. But I would, my early thing is that I would not be surprised if West Virginia 
took that one where I wanted to take it. I, I was sorry. I got me distracted here. Not just about, I just calling the shot on the big blowout of, of, of Kansas, which seems crazy because you should blow out Kansas, but I'm with you. I was just thinking, I was looking up the, uh, the blocking stats. What I was doing was getting distracted there. Cause you're right. I think that's, that's the thing they won. They don't put pressure on the quarterback, which hey, let, let's, let's go ahead and weave in a little question from, from the mailbag here because <clears throat> I, it, it, it was blowing my mind during the Texas game. And I want you to one, we can kind of answer this question or I think I already answered it, but I want you to tell me if I'm crazy mm-hmm. and it's related to Kansas. So um, this was from Swaggy or he said, if you are a head coach, what game plan do you expect from your D coordinator versus WVU? And if he doesn't bring you that game plan, what is your course of action? Because during the Texas game, I said, I, I, if the analysts and the GAs who were watching film did not come back and say the key is to pressure Jarrett Diggy at all costs, then that's terrible. You know, that guy needs to be fired or somebody wasn't listening. Am I overreacting? Is that is that the only key here? Is that that you know Kansas or whoever has to get pressure on Diggy? And and if you're D coordinator, is that your main focus no matter what? I I would not play cover two or even quarters. Um, DJ Elliott's our defensive coordinator, and that's someone that knows Brown and Brown knows pretty well. So that ought to be very interesting. And I think that if someone is going to be attuned to the strengths and weaknesses of either a Neil Brown offense or a West Virginia. 2021 offense it's going to be this guy who knows neil brown as dj elliott i would not do cover two recorders there i know there are defensive coordinators tony gibson would never ever play quarters because he thought it was too easy for the quarterback like if you split the field into quadrants or halves you just create even windows right like that's how it's supposed to look in a quarterback's head but if you go into thirds like a cover three if you do like tcu and like one half of the field is one thing and one half of the field is the other it's just complex cover one you can have a lot of fun with cover one. Um, think about Alabama. Alabama is like just cover one with like a rover in the middle who causes trouble. So I would just try to make it difficult for Daigie where there's going to be somebody where you're not thinking he's going to be. And that's going to make you pat the ball, look around for your next option. And then that gives your defensive line a little bit more time. Um, blitzing is interesting. Like, what do you what do you think about blitzing West Virginia? Because I don't feel like they've gotten hurt a ton on blitzes. I feel like when they've gotten beat up front, they've gotten whipped by defensive lines or front five, front six. But I don't remember a lot of like corners storming in or unchecked linebackers on the blind side. I'm sure it's been successful. I'd have to look at the numbers. But like I would say a lot of Daigie's pressures and sacks this year are a result of maybe like covered sacks or he holds on to the ball too long or the defensive line just gets after it. No, I'm with you. I think if you, I mean, that's always the case of you, hey, you want to get pressure without blitzing, but I think, you know, sometimes you can really bring the blitz and really fluster the quarterback. I'm not entirely sure that's the case with West Virginia and Daigie, or at least that, like you said, teams haven't done it that much because I feel like a lot of these times when you see Daigie kind of stand back there and pat the ball, pat the ball and and, and crumble under pressure, it's been him looking deep or looking at just looking downfield and there's coverage there and, and the opposing team is getting there with four. Um, yeah. Under pressure, according to PFF, 32.3 grade for Jared Dagey kept clean 85.8. Um, yeah. When blitzed, it's a 58.1. So somewhere there in the middle, 
it's really just about getting pressure on him um, and without blitzing if you can. But as I say, I mean, it says actually he's been sacked more when he's not blitzed mm-hmm. than when he is blitzed. 18 times when he's not blitzed, 10 when he is blitzed. Now, granted, he's getting blitzed like only one out of every four uh, dropbacks. So the rate's a little higher, but still. Um, yeah, I mean, it, pre- pressure's key. I don't, I don't think there's anything I would change other than, you know, I would just say I, I, it, man c- coverage in the in the backfield. I don't know about man or versus zone, but I kind of like the zone because you can move it around, maybe drop a lineman. Do the some tricky things like that? I think would fluster, would fluster Daggy, because um, because especially when he starts getting pressure, you know, they love the slant over the middle, plays over the middle. I would be running some zone, and now I just said, hey, you don't want to blitz, but it's, I guess we call this a blitz where you're blitzing a linebacker, but then you drop a defensive lineman in his place, just to kind of so you're still rushing for. And but the defensive lineman's kind of dropping back. Now you see that kind of stuff in the NFL. I don't know how much you see that in college because I don't know if you have the athletes, but that's the kind of stuff that I think would just blow Daggy's mind and really be a, an issue for this offense. One concern for them is that they have ten defensive linemen, like edge or interior guys, who have played nine, ten, or eleven games, and. Most of them have played north of 200 snaps. This is Kansas? Yeah. I think at this stage of the season, if you can keep your line fresh, whether you're playing three or four, if you can get four, six, eight fresh legs in there, and this game is close, then there's a chance you could do something there. And if you think about what Kansas State did, you remember some reporters' very astute observation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That Kansas State played a lot of people on defense. And yeah, everybody talked about their defensive lineman who was on fire with sacks. He was pretty much a non-factor in that game. Um, but they roll guys in and like they got after Daigie really well that game because they just had a constant motor there. And if you look at their sacks, it's between one and six, like for the range. And it's like nine players, but they're mostly defensive linemen or, or guys who are in there and are playing in that nine, 10, 11 game range. So can they find a way, you know, Hey, you're, Instead of playing, you know, 65 snaps, you're going to play 45. But, man, you better light that fuse every time you're there because look at this tape against Kansas State and what they couldn't do against fresh pass rush. And all of a sudden that might perk up Kansas and that gets that going. But I think the more people you have in coverage against West Virginia and the more pressure you put Daigie under, and which is a hard thing to do with those two things, like a lot of people in coverage but a lot of pressure, then naturally a quarterback's going to struggle because he's going to feel people coming at him and he's going to be looking, but he's going to see – jerseys that are not his and that's when you get caught again holding tapping the ball and taking a sack too so they can find a way to get pressure just organically and keep their people in coverage that's just the formula against him if you get after him early that'll be it so maybe you do blitz maybe you dial it up early just to get him thinking and get him rattled get his feet moving a little bit and his eyes moving a little bit because Daigie can be pushed into that corner and it's not easy for him to get out of it and if you do that early then maybe you can settle into that like i say organic pass rush where Perhaps Daigie's helping you out a little bit because he is a little bit spooked and maybe he brings your pass rush up a level by his reaction to your initial blitzes. And all of a sudden your organic stuff is really effective and you can just kind of flood the secondary, whether it's zone or man or combinations of, and you make it hard for him and you close those windows because that's kind of been the recipe when he's been bad this year. Here you go. go. 
pressures. I got a little feedback from your side over there, Mike. Um, the the pressures here for the teams in the Big 12 and, and West Virginia's yardage. The three worst offensive games for West Virginia as far as yards per play and the offense goes and total offense, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Baylor. The three teams in the Big 12 that lead the conference in pressures on the quarterback, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. The best games for West Virginia's offense as far as yards per play, total offense, mm-hmm. TCU, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Texas. The four lowest teams, or four of the five lowest teams in pressures on the quarterback, Texas Tech, TCU, Iowa State, Texas. The fifth team, Kansas. Really? Yeah. So if you're looking for a trend, that's a heck of a trend right there. You know, the the top half of the league in pressures, West Virginia struggles. The bottom half of the league in pressures, West Virginia does great, moves the ball. So that would be something that backs up your argument that West Virginia is going to kind of cruise, at least on offense, and, and, and maybe blow this one out. I think there's enough of a pattern there to at least look into it. If you want to believe in it, up to you. But there's a pattern there of of the opponent and West Virginia to look into that you could you could be encouraged by that. I'm sure. Anyways, let's dig into this mailbag now. We've already started. Swag gear got us going. Other subscribers on the VIP side sending questions. We answer them here, and then Chris follows up with a written format. If you want to get in on this, if this is something that you're like, oh, I have a VIP question. I have to ask you. You're not VIP. Hey, do we have a deal for you, Chris? You want to? tease a little bit about what's coming up yeah right now we got uh one dollar for an entire month of vip uh that will take you through early signing day the entire early signing period right up till um you know week of christmas so that'll that'll get you covered through a lot of the big news that's going to be coming up in the next few weeks it'll cover you through the final game a few basketball games uh official visit weekends those are going to be huge those first two saturdays in december early signing day, December 15th. So that'll cover all of that. And then, uh, you know, in a few days, Cyber Monday's coming up. Don't know if you want to wait that long because uh, it's not going to be a monthly deal, but it is a good annual deal that'll come up. I don't, I don't even know how good it is yet. Um, that comes from up on high, um, but that'll be in a few days. But if you want to get in now, get all the coverage over this this Thanksgiving break so you can read up on what's going on with West Virginia while you're sitting there fat with a turkey in your belly. $1 for an entire month. Justification, because West Virginia does lose two recruits from the recruiting class. Highly anticipated, dare I say, celebrated recruiting class. One, not a surprise. Both not a surprise. Correct. One, two. stings, because I think people think the running back's going to be a good player. He's probably going to end up in the SEC now. One, doesn't necessarily sting, because I think that you would certainly hinted sketched this might happen because the receiver from Philadelphia, Kevin Thomas, um, just not productive this year. Right. Right. I think and, that was, that was a decision, a mutual decision, if you will. Yeah. So coaches have to make up their mind on this stuff too. And players as well. And if you just simply see the headline and you see the social media and you say, West Virginia loses two recruits, you could very easily irresponsibly color a certain picture that the sky is falling. This isn't going good. It's an indictment on the team and the coach where maybe the coach and the team 
acted in the right here and the player as well because perhaps a player who yeah did commit i don't know everybody changes their mind it tends to happen in recruiting and then the other one a lot of breadcrumbs that the running back was going to be moving on elsewhere he's had a great season which chris has covered throughout he's been very good and he was bound to get attention it's not a big surprise but certainly you can't treat all these things the same you need some context and uh sometimes uh, it takes a hero like you chris well and as literally I mean, some of you will probably have already read this because, again, we're recording this right now. It's Monday morning, but I put up a story this morning that it's it's sneak season. Sneak season is here, sneaking players on campus because mm. West Virginia had two dozen recruits on campus. Um, I had a capital S source tell me, yeah, there'd be one official visitor. Uh, Lee Kugba, the um, linebacker who was once committed to West Virginia. That was my understanding. That was the one. And then Neil Brown let it slip during postgame. Yeah, I, th- I think we got three official visitors here. Like, oh, um, you go to the site right now. There's a story. VIP buzz. Sneak season has begun. Uh, Virginia Tech commit on campus. A Big Ten commit on campus. Um, a player that is, I'm told, currently, quote, silently committed to an SEC school was Ooh. on campus. Another SEC commit was on campus. Another former Big Ten commit was on campus. And just confirmation, just now, I'm updating the story literally as you were talking. Two SEC transfers were confirmed on campus that we discussed, one of them filling that running back void. I I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I said, if Justin Williams decommits, West Virginia will most likely look in the transfer portal instead of going back to another high school recruit. And that seems to be exactly what they're doing with one of their key um, guys on campus this weekend and another SEC commit that uh, would absolutely fill another need in the transfer portal. Yeah, I'm looking at the ACC commit, though, for the running ACC. Back. Oh, God, I'm so bad. And both of them. Both of them ACC commits. You just See, this that's my salesman in me. I'm saying SEC because I think that will draw in some more eyeballs. But well, ACC, just means more. excuse me. so just to be clear a silent sec commit is on campus during sneak season a silent sec commit and a regular sec commit are on campus a current big 10 commit a former big 10 commit and two acc transfers i just want to point out the peak recruiting season though with a silent sec commit has sneaked (laughs) onto the wvu campus that is perfect i love it it's great Anyhow, let's get into the questions here. We've done our hard sell. Let's do some hard questions. Well, hey, let's stick with that. Somebody, uh, where is that? This one uh, from Nelly1210. In your perfect world, what are the top five positions you would add a potential impact transfer? All right, Um, we're going to agree on number one, right? What? Quarterback. Yeah, if you can. And again, somebody else asked in here, like, hey, do you really think there's not going to be somebody better than Diggy? I just want to remind everybody that, you know, again, what we said last time, last week or whatever it was, there's going to be five to seven quarterbacks you can definitively say would be better than Daggy in the transfer portal, but 40 schools trying to get them. So the odds of that actually happening, pretty small, because I remember last year when we were having a discussion and you and I were like the only ones saying West Virginia has to look in the portal. They have to look in the portal. They have to look in the portal. Right the guy the game. 
right? The guy that we we were talking about, the the quote quote unquote best available at the time, Mackenzie Milton, uh, who ended up at Florida State, can't keep the starting job for a team that's under five hundred and has more interceptions than touchdowns. He's not look good. So I just want to like that. That's what we're dealing with here. You know that at the time. Mackenzie Milton was the best option still in the portal that that West Virginia could have got. And we were saying we didn't say because I think we were even debating, is that definitively better than Daigie? We weren't sure or Kendall at the time because Kendall hadn't left yet. Um, But that's the situation there. So, yes, I think quarterback is number one with an asterisk. Yeah, so I would do that. And again, they don't need a backup. So it's got to be a quality player because. And, and this this will sort itself out with Daigie or not. If Daigie comes back, I don't think they're going to go for a transfer. I just don't think they will. Should they? Different conversation. But again, should they and can they get one? There's layers. The player has to want to come here. And if Jerry Daigie is still on campus, that's going to be difficult. It's going to be a hard sell. So that would be my one. It gets very interesting here because they have needs at key spots. So part of me wants to say... Man, if they got a left tackle, that offensive line would really jump up a bit. So I, I would say that as my number two. And then I'm going safety, but like safety, safety, because they're going to lose a die, Mahone, and Scotty Young. And maybe, maybe, and maybe who? Jackie Matthews, if but, we're going to count Matthews him as somebody good. who could pay, play safety if needed. Yeah. I mean, he's been your spear before he's your starting corner. So yeah. I forgot about that. He walked. So. That might be it, too. It might just be quarterback, left tackle, and then your three safety spots. Because running back, you could probably be okay with. If they bring back all their receivers, they'll be all right. Um, defensive line, they'll miss stills, but they have some personnel there that they hope that, that gets better and grows into it. And, again, if you're starting, you know, Mesador, Jefferson, Vesteren, and perhaps Taj Austin still back there next year, that's not a bad start. You can do something with that. But who's playing linebacker next year? Yeah. So That's that almost obvious. has to become your two, right? It's it's right. it's hard to get to five here, but I would go quarterback, left tackle, and then I would probably say, give me a give me a mic, and then two safeties. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mine is, yeah, I'd love for the offensive line to be better, but I think if, if you gave me five, yeah, I'm a quarterback, one with an asterisk, and then, yeah, it, two of the spots are definitely safety. Two of them, not one, two. Um, And I might go quarterback, safety, linebacker, safety again, and then offensive line. Um, Mm. I think just because I I don't want to say I like the pieces on the offensive line. I kind of like some of them, but I also think there's some young guys that you can build up. you got a solid class incoming. Sure, you need to upgrade it. Maybe you can find that in in the transfer portal. Um, but I, I just, for immediate need, I think safety, safety and linebacker, God. like, I mean, let's remind everybody, West Virginia was playing a true freshman safety that had played like 10 snaps through the first eight games 
and he played every single game or every single snap against Texas mm-hmm. in a must-win game because they didn't have a linebacker. And he's mm-hmm. a safety. He's hey, not he a linebacker. Okay. <laughs> and he was, yeah, he was good. Yeah. So, but that, that's their current linebacker situation in that they had to go to that route. So I think linebacker is definitely up there. Um, something to watch in the offseason. Deshaun Stevens could petition for a sixth year because he redshirted and then lost a season to injury. So that's a possibility. He hasn't played a whole lot this year. They didn't even play him on defense Saturday, but that's a guy who could. Do you think Dixon is your starting Mike next year? I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that idea, and I, I definitely think it's possible. And the mm-hmm. other part with Stevens is that he got drafted, right? CFL? Yeah. 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 So he's got that option. Because I think I think you're the CFL expert here. I am guilty. But I think that that those draft rights only hold for a year, right? Like they draft him and then they don't if he doesn't come over a year later, then he's no longer assigned to that team or whatever, right? I believe it's a little bit different. It's not like um, NBA or anything like that. I think that until he's done pursuing the NFL, they have his rights. Okay. So we'll see there. Um, And then if you look at the recruiting class, like is Lathan going to play linebacker next year? Nope. Uh, Who's the other one? Collins, right? He's probably like a spear. I mean, they don't have anybody in the recruiting class that could do it. So they really kind of have to either – find it from the roster, find it from the transfer. Actually, we may have to elevate linebacker here. That, that could be a yeah. problem. Yeah. They'll have Bartlett. They'll have Dixon. It's pretty thin after that. They just don't have answers right now, too. So that's that's certainly a, a problem they're going to have to fix. Can't, Cowan didn't walk. Didn't play either. Correct. Didn't dress, but didn't play. So he might have been injured. Remember, well, he did, yeah, he did. He did after the really, really, really bad penalty. He was also walking off, looking like they were holding his shoulder or elbow or something. So, could be that possibility. Um, oh gosh. Uh, assuming West Virginia beats Kansas and ends up in the Liberty Bowl, what SEC team would give WVU the most buzz? Um, he. Uh, this is from Alaric, and he specifically mentions recruits. I can touch on that, but what, what do you think of the overall buzz? Who do you think West Virginia wants to play? Like the university, well, the coaches, everybody. Well, it's it's up to the SEC. Right. Let's be clear about that, because remember, they don't assign their teams until like the announcements are made by everybody else, too. So who does the SEC want is what matters. Who would West Virginia want? That's interesting, because let's be like, there's only a certain number of teams they can get. They're not going to get Alabama or Georgia or, or you know people like that. So you're you're looking at like... Florida, who could be in shambles, and who knows how many of their players are going to play, but you might be able to beat Florida in a bowl game. That would look pretty good at the mm-hmm. end of the seven and six season. You could certainly take that. Travis Trickett could put that in his carry-on and take that down to South Florida, right? That would be helpful for recruiting because I think that from Stedman Bailey on down to any the other person who's familiar with recruiting, South Florida's been good. And they're trying to be better down there. It's not going to be the same pipeline before, but like if you can make a splash, that would be really good. South Carolina really wouldn't matter that much. Um, I'm trying to think of other teams on there in that, that region that would light it up. But like the one I just keep coming back to is, and this is going to make your eyes roll, I think, but I would be surprised if it doesn't end up with WVU Tennessee in that bowl game. They had it last year. Everybody's really happy about it. The bowl game was pumped. 
This is a Tuesday afternoon game in Tennessee. You can bank on Tennessee's fans being there on a Tuesday afternoon. And they had it last year. They were happy about it. The fans really couldn't do it. They didn't have a full-blown bowl week because of the pandemic. And you can say, hey, it's the same thing, but it's different. Um, Tennessee obviously didn't get to play in that game last year because they had COVID problems. But you could have your fans coming back. You could celebrate the West Virginia-Tennessee thing again. I think that's a good enough rivalry is not the right word, but a game of interest where if you beat Tennessee, that's a pretty good accomplishment for you if you're West Virginia. Um, I think the bowl game would be probably pretty one side in the stand just because of geography and everything, but I think the bowl game would be interesting in that. And if you're West Virginia and you win a game against Tennessee in Tennessee, you beat an SEC team to get to seven wins, I think that's useful too. I I would honestly be surprised right now on this date if it's not Tennessee in in the Liberty Bowl. I think that's the best possible scenario for, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, fans, the team, and recruit, and the recruits. Really, uh, I think absolutely. I, I think you look at that. You look at the. They have a lot of common recruits. Um, Kentucky's probably. That's crazy to say. I think Kentucky would be a good one. Uh, that would excite people. But I mean, they're eight and three. I know that you're not tied to the records, but Kentucky might end up elsewhere. Um, Florida would be a good one, as you mentioned. They got to win one more game. Uh, and then I, I've seen people, you know, say Auburn is gonna is a potential one. I know that was a projection that went out today, but I don't want to say that doesn't excite people because Auburn, you know, big SEC storied program. But I think it's it's definitively Tennessee at the top out of the out of the realistic options for West Virginia to play from the SEC in the Liberty Bowl. Um, Kentucky plays Louisville coming up. Missouri is six and five. South Carolina is six and five. Florida has to beat Florida, Florida State, State to yeah. get in. Um, I think Mississippi State's probably going to be too high. They had to play Ole Miss. Though. They could finish seven and five. Auburn has Alabama. You're probably going to be seven and six there. LSU, uh, five and six. I don't think they have a bowl band, do they? But they got to play. Pretty sure it's A and M. So it's a small pool, but I would I'd really be thinking that it's going to be. Auburn's interesting. Florida would be a good one, but I'd be surprised if it was not in that Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina group too. Was that was was it the Liberty Bowl a few years ago? The one where Skylar Howard was still the quarterback that right the SEC like delayed the announcement because they were fighting over who was going to go there, and it was supposed to be wasn't it, was it supposed to be Tennessee? Correct. And then like. Texas, and then it ended. They switched it at the last moment. It ended up being Texas A and M, and it was a whole big deal. Yes, what a pain in it! It's just a pain. It's a pain playing the SEC. I, I feel like every year it's that. Every everybody, everybody that has a bowl game against an SEC team has to wait on the SEC team to fight with each other for a while before they yep. figure it out. That's not an embellishment. That's largely true. Yeah. Well, I I never embellish. No, no, I wouldn't embellish. <laughs> never. In my life, except for when I declared that Clemson was in the SEC. <laughs> that was an accident. I'm still the guy that's saying that Maryland's in the ACC, so just, just cut me some slack oh, here, okay? I got Rutgers in the Big East. <laughs> just cut me some slack. Um, basketball question from Lighten. I'm just kind of going down, not in any particular order. Um, I mean, he. do you want to touch on the do you bring Daggy back, or have we said enough on that? Because that was the first part of his question. I would – just really quickly, I would welcome him back. He's earned that right, but I would promise him nothing. Yeah, I think and that's the right move. 
if he beats your guys out, then that's as much on those other three guys as it is on Daigie. And if, if you're really worried about having Daigie back there, but he wins the competition justly, um, you're probably saving yourself uh, a, a dicey experience in 2022. But I would welcome him back. He's earned that. Guy's done nothing wrong off the field and maybe even on the field. Um, th- listen, throws picks, whatever, that's fine. But otherwise, a good representation. Um, and it's it's a, a right there for a student athlete. I have no problem with him exercising it. But promise him nothing. I'm with you. you, you, you I, I don't want to take a cold-hearted approach here, but you're trying to collect assets as a coach. You're trying to have as many options available as possible, especially in the quarterback room. And if one of your options is a guy who has started – you know, double digit 20, 20 some games and, and currently leads the Big 12, even with his flaws. You do not tell him to go away. Yep. You let him come back and then you figure it out in the spring. I'm with you. Don't promise him anything. Um, the other question from Layton in his current state, not career, is Huggins a top 15 coach? I mean, if you watch last night's game, it's, it's, there's not many nights you're going to want the other guy. Right. As opposed to Huggins, right? And I, and I say that in the Big 12, too, where there's some very good coaches. There's so many good coaches now that, listen, you can be a top 25 coach to be a really good coach. Top 15 is harder. Is he one of the top 15 coaches? I, I thought about this. Like, it'd be hard to say yes just because that's not been a top 15 program across the past several years. I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn there. But – He's got 904 wins, and he's he's done more with less, you know, without the luxuries of a of a name brand school for a lot of his career. Even though I think Cincinnati and West Virginia are name brands, but like not of the the splish splash UNC Duke Kentucky variety. So um, I would not have a problem having him lead my program and do it. So um, part of me wants to say yeah because I just think that he's that good at what he does. Uh, party wants to say no because he hasn't had a top 15 program but um, given the choice of the other I would say yeah I'm with you I think at some of the at some point I mean how many teams are consistently top 15 and and with the same coach and I think mm-hmm. that's maybe you got a handful of guys that are in that category um, I do think at times you know his his penchant for old school ways and wanting to teach guys on the on, you know in game like again just kind of letting it happen I, like the point he was trying to prove i think uh against marquette that seems to it throws people off and makes them think that he's not a good coach because of the way he does things i still think he is probably top 15 tail into that top 15 right now just because um again i'm with you how long has west virginia been a top 15 team in basketball or have they are they I think they're consistently top 25. And if you're consistently top 25, year in, year out, or tail end of top 25, you're probably top 15. I think over the last handful of years, there's a, there's only a, there's probably 15 teams that have similar resumes to West Virginia. So I think he's right around there. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a ridiculous discussion to have, um, but he's there. Yeah, that's exactly. how I put it too. Like, I mean, and, and when you're looking in the neighborhood there, like you're probably, I'm, I'm just thinking here, but like you're putting like the likes of like Dana Altman or Eric Musselman or, or uh, I'm trying to think here, who would be teams that are like right in the cusp of top 15? Like, not, not people who you go, oh, that guy's definitely ahead of Bob Huggins. No. So I would, I, I would have no problem scooting him into that top 15. Right. Um, I got a question for you on basketball. Speaking of, 
this is not this. I'm pulling this not from the mailbag. Sorry, oh. everybody. I, I'm I'm taking up a little personal time here, I'd but live. something I was looking at. Um, mainly, I just wanted to gloat a little bit um, mm. because in the preseason, I predicted a starting lineup of Curry, McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, and Polycap. And about 48 hours later, um, I think Bob Huggins came out and said. Uh, Keaty Johnson and Cottrell were going to start instead. And we have not seen too much of Polycap. I mean, I think he should be playing more. But went to your old buddy, <clears throat> Evan Miyakawa's page, looked up the lineups. Would you like to guess who's the number one five for I'm, West Virginia? I'm staring at it because I looked at it this morning because I was curious about that. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it is Curry, McNeil, Sherman, yeah. Bridges, Polycap. And yeah, it's been good, too. Four of the top five lineups have polycap in it four of the top five lineups for west virginia with a minimum of five possessions and i think all these all these have like 15 20 um at least so that's notable and i i don't want to say you know i just sat here and said i think you know west virginia is a top 15-ish team and you can't you cannot go off one single metric even if this is a good metric and and we love the work that that evan does this is two years in a row now where some of the most used lineups still early this year, but some of the most used lineups are not the best ones. Uh, the most used lineup, which is Keaty Johnson, McNeil, Sherman, it's the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. The most used lineup, and that is what the fifteenth best lineup out of twenty lineups that it, that it has on here, something like that. Um, it is near the bottom. Uh, three of the the top three most used lineups are in the bottom half of you know the the adjusted rankings for these for these lineups so i'm not trying to say that huggins is not a good coach but that is something that that kind of consistently catches my eye that i feel like there's there's some lineup things that he just will not get off of um and and maybe he should uh go mess around with his site evanmia.com e-v-a-n-m-i-y-a he's expanded this year it's really slick it was it was yeah. fun before to go around but he's the the dashboard the interface is fun now um five-man lineups is a fun thing to do but if you go to the lineups metric on the left uh team breakdown hit the drag down menu go to lineups i've had fun looking at four-man lineups because we have talked mm-hmm. about you know Cottrell, polycap kerrigan osaboyan who are the other four? Because maybe you just figure out who the four are around the one and you do it. But Chris, Polycap is in all the top four man lineups. What can I say? Yeah. What can I say? Yeah. So you can do all sorts of research and stuff like that. You can look at the best teammate chemistry, three man, four man lineups. You can compare players in different situations, um, expected outcomes, all that stuff. It's it's a lot of fun to go look at. You'll learn about the team, and especially if you follow it regularly because you'll see these numbers evolve over time it's it's a good it's a good plug moving back to football this one from woodwork inhabitant and mike i think this one is specifically for you i love that Um, name by the way (laughs) would an athletic director ever tell a coach what to do at a key position on the field there's a back and forth on the board over the weekend about the relationship between coach and ad is there an unwritten rule that he may intervene in position coach decisions but leaves the roster management AKA starting quarterback, for example, entirely up to the head coach. Mike, what's what's the AD's role, if any, in these type of decisions? I think it varies. Like if you were Mal Moore at Alabama, you could probably get away with that when 
but when it's Nick Saban in Alabama, you probably can't do a whole lot of it. 80s used to be coaches who were like former quarterbacks or played the sport, the big sport at campus. So they had a lot of cachet to do stuff like that. You don't see that as much now. Um, you kind of see the administrator CEO type that becomes athletic director. There's exceptions. Um, uh, Trev Alberts. Trev Alberts? Is that Nebraska, right? Uh this, this is why this question was for you. I don't know the AD stuff. That's so, your people. That's fine. So you, you will find former players who, who get there. But by and large now, it's, it's like business people because you're running a business in an athletic department. So it's kind of traded from like shorts and whistles to um, suits and cell phones, which is fine. This is the evolution of, of college sports. So I don't think you'll see that very much. I don't think he's going to say, hey, you got to give Tony Mathis more handoffs here. You're wearing down Letty Brown. Letty Brown doesn't look good. Give Tony Mathis more handoffs. Or, hey, play green. This isn't Moneyball where Brad Pitt's walking past um, Art Howe, Billy Bean's walking past Art Howe and says, Hatterberg, play Hatterberg, right? It's not like that, I don't think. It may be in some places, and I'm sure there was a time in the past where it was, but I don't think you'll see that very much right now because two things. One, coaches are propped up to be the rock stars. They get paid all that money. And I think for two reasons. One, they're given that that leeway, that levity, but ADs don't want to get their hands dirty with it because if you make a mistake, it's on you. You can't fire yourself, right? So I think you'll see them stay away from that, but also because if you take off your coach, you might lose them. And coaches play that game every offseason, every offseason, which maybe leads to another question. But I don't think you see that very much anymore as far as like who should be on the field. Now, if he says, like, hey, I'm thinking about playing some freshmen, what do you think? Lions may say, listen, we're not going to, you know, you got 2022. Don't worry about it. Don't try to win this year because you got to break the guy's red shirt. Stuff like that. Just functionally, maybe there's some consultation. But, again, I don't think it's like Lions saying, hey, you got to play Caleb Coleman <laughs> on the punt return team this week. It's not going to happen. It's silly. Those matters typically take care of themselves because the issues are so obvious, I think. So there's no one answer. It varies. I think it's all situational. I do think absolutely that Lions and ADs can and will get involved with staffing decisions, though, because if you say, listen, our quarterback play isn't very good, our quarterback coach's contract is up, we're not re-signing him. You're going to have to go find another one. You'll have this much money to spend. That would be a very common occurrence, I think. I'm not singling out Sean Reagan. I'm just saying that that's a position, obviously, at West Virginia that has a lot of attention. Um Shane Lyons may not roll up his sleeves and go have a brawl with Neil Brown about the quarterback position, but how they handle the staffing, I think that's something that he would get involved in. Yeah. I, I, again, this was, this was a question directed at you, but I agree. I don't think these just can't imagine Shane Lyons, you know, dialing up Neil Brown and saying, Hey, how about uh, let's burn that red shirt on this kid and get him in at left tackle and try him out or, or try somebody new at linebacker and all that stuff. But yeah, I think the, Position coaches, we've seen it over the years at, all over the place. I don't know how much at West Virginia, but AD is kind of putting the pressures on head coaches that you have to make a change at coordinator or position coach or whatever it is. And, and so that's definitely that's definitely a thing. But I don't know about the personnel stuff, like you said. Trev know. Alberts is the AD at Nebraska. He is. There you go. See, I told you, you know that stuff. You don't have to ask me. Back to I'm just bouncing back and forth. Basketball, football, basketball, football. Uh, GA Mountaineer 15. What's the biggest thing West Virginia basketball has to fix before Big 12 play? 
Well, Chris, I think we'd all be a lot happier if Bob Huggins stepped to the mic for the first Big 12 game and said, guys are making shots. <laughs> I mean, it's that easy, right? Like, I know that their defense isn't what it is. Their rebounding isn't what it uh, isn't what it has been. Like, I know that. But if they get the offense where they think it's supposed to be, just the shooting, their defense and their rebounding aren't as big of a worry. And you kind of get that. That will be the the tide that lifts other boats. I really think so. Like, if if McNeil and Sherman and Bridges and, and even Cottrell start making perimeter shots, that's going to solve offensive issues. And that's going to make the, the net a little bit easier to work with on defense and rebounding. Now I'm with you. I think you, yeah, you'd love a little more consistency at point guard, a little more consistency at the big position, um, making shots. I mean, they're, they're a team that's supposed to be built around hitting three pointers on offense. And they're as a team, they're shooting 32%, which is me. It's okay. And if you're a team built to shoot threes, okay is not okay. No. So um, they need to get better in that that regard. I think the big man situation needs to be figured out as far as who's going to play what. I don't know if you can do the hot hand. I don't know if you can stick with Cottrell because I, I just I'm not picking on him here because he had I believe it was the Elon game. He was plus twenty in plus minus. When he was on the court, West Virginia was plus 20. And then against um, Marquette, he was minus 20. Against um, Clemson, he was minus 16. And meanwhile, Polycap and Kerrigan were, I think they were plus 11 in like 10 minutes last night, 15 minutes, something like that combined. Uh, and they were similar the night before against Marquette. Even though West Virginia lost that game, West Virginia was plus eight with one of those two guys on the floor combined. And it's not always as simple as that with the plus minus. Uh, We've gone over that before. Can't just take one game. Can't just take, you know, a handful of minutes. But if that continues that trend, again, it's a trend. It's telling you something. And maybe it's something to to get looked at and figure out. Because Cottrell has always been, even when he was a recruit, one, a very good player, but more of a four that Mm -hmm. plays, Mm -hmm. like, on the perimeter and stuff. He's not your banger inside. And I think he, he keeps getting played as that banger inside and it's just not going well. The the defense takes a hit. There's no he's not really a rim protector and he's not he's an OK rebounder. He should be a better rebounder for being you know basically seven foot tall. So I, I think there there's something that needs to be figured out with these lineups. And, and that that's to be expected in the first handful of games when you have was it seven newcomers on this team. I don't like that he's two for eight from three. Not that he's shooting 25%, but that he's only taking three or only taking eight threes. That, that's your thing. That's why you're out there for, what, 16, 20 minutes a game in five games. You're taking 1.2 threes a game. Come on, man. You're better than that. You, you can't make them if you don't take them. I like that. I like that motto. I don't think anybody would uh, be upset if he took three threes a game. No. I don't think so. It's a, Hoist it. Let it go. You're out there. Make it rain. Um, anything else you uh, definitely wanted to touch on that came from the mailbag that you saw in there? No, those are good questions. And there's there's a lot of stuff we'll, we'll answer. We, got, we probably got too much into Kansas this week, but there was some football stuff in there to look ahead to that I'm pretty sure you can get into. But we'll have um, we'll, we'll have we'll have basketball Friday. So this week will be devoted to football. And it all comes down to this, as expected, road game against Kansas. But, hey, um, the, the season certainly changes with a win and, and with a loss, too, I guess. So drama at the end. By the way, this, is this the most the, important Kansas game ever? 
for West Virginia? Ooh. From West Virginia's side? Has to be, right? Even the one they lost was just kind of like a lost season. So, yeah. Right. So, um, I believe the college basketball proposed in the summer to change the red shirt rule. I cannot find an, an article that says it happened. But your boy, Jamel King, Senny Njai, Taj Thweet, Seth Wilson have all played this year. Okonkwo has not. But King, Njai, and Thweet all played at the end of the Elon game. Is that right? They all got one minute. Which means they can't redshirt. But someone asked Huggins the other day about playing Okonkwo. And he said, well, he can play a couple games and still redshirt. I think that rule must have been passed, and I just haven't noticed it. Have you heard anything about that? I need to look into it, I guess, and perhaps not spring it on you here on a podcast and we're just winging it. But, like, I, I was looking at the box, and I was like, man, those guys will play. They can't redshirt. Maybe not so. I'm with you. I, somebody asked me about that with, with Huggins' comments about Aconquo, and my thought was he was speaking specifically about Aconquo in that conversation, um, even though he was asked about, you know, all the, all the young guys um, and redshirts. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, you know, he's been hurt. So what you can do is, I believe, with the medical redshirt with basketball, what is it, 30% of the games you can play in? Right. Uh, and so technically, with Conquo, you can kind of keep him out and then bring him back for a handful of games at the end of the year, the less than 30%. Um, you can't, you know, bring him back for a couple games, then sit him for a while, then putting him back for a couple games, because then it's not a medical redshirt. Uh, but if you if if Okonkwo is comes back for the final seven games of the year and plays, he's good. Like that's fine, and I think you can claim a medical redshirt in that regard. But then you know I think then the very next night, Tweet King and Injai all played, and now I'm just I don't know. I don't I don't know how they're how you redshirt that unless that rule changed. It must have. I know it was proposed in the summer, but I never heard it. And then I feel like that'd be part of the conversation here, but there's no reason to play King at that point. Cause I think the plan is to redshirt him at this point, but yeah, it makes no sense. Unless they're going to, I mean, he does not want to play 15 guys or have 15 at his disposal. So if he can put a few on the shelf, that might do it. But listen, we'll see. I'll look into that. I'll try to do some homework on it and get an answer. Yeah. All right. On the site, everything business as usual. Full football day Tuesday, all the standard preview stuff, um, even during the holiday. We'll be a little bit thin Thursday, Friday, but um, all the staples will be there. All of the uh, the fixings that you're accustomed to on the table, on the website. Yeah, I was looking. I was just looking at everything I was uh, planning out. I mean, recruiting's picking up. I wasn't planning on a buzz this morning, but then got to talking to some people last night. So it's up, ready to go, sneak season. Um, I'll update Mountaineers most wanted on Tuesday. We'll have mailbag on Tuesday, Neil Brown on Tuesday. Uh, everybody enjoyed the, uh, ready to pounce tracker. So maybe we'll bring that back later in the week, giving updates on all those guys that, um, are committed elsewhere, but their coaches were fired or about to be fired. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess we've got to add some Florida, Florida commits on that list now. Yeah. Um, and we'll go from there. Charity bets. We've got one week left. We, Broke our losing streak. Finally got a, a a win this week. We'll try to finish strong, and then then it'll be time to open up the wallets for charity. So uh, let's, we'll try to we'll try to end with one one more win here, and and hey, go out go out like Neil Brown in 2019, and try to win a couple to end the year and make everybody forget that it was a losing season. 
I'm going for bowl eligibility. <laughs> I'm gonna try to get in the good numbers here. We'll see. It's gonna be hard. I, I might have to go back and look at what you, myself, and the board have done since we switched to that two-two-two format. We have to put a put up a scoreboard. I, I, not that I think I'm winning. We don't have to do that. <laughs> we don't have to do that. What we should do is take all of your. 18 team parlays and figure out how many individual ones you won and how much money how much money we would have won if we just took all your individual bets instead of 18 team parlays we, we don't have to do that either but i, I was uh, yeah i, I just i, I enjoy finishing a podcast taking pot shots at mike this is good i like this let's keep I'm it up come on <laughs> kick a man while he's down he's down well we'll figure it out we'll try to go out with a bang and not a whimper here which is the same for saturday a night game in Kansas, that even adds to the specter, Chris. It is the biggest game ever against Kansas. You're right. Good point. Good spin. We got something to look forward to. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.